This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It's Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar. Sandy Clough's on my left. Danny Bailey is in the booth. The number Broncos have, uh, for them, essentially, Sandy, the playoffs start now. These are all elimination games, realistically. And it may very well be that they could win all three and the tiebreakers aren't going to go their way. In fact, it is more likely than not that that is the case, even if they win out. Yeah. But you it, want to take your shot. It's close to 50-50, but I think it's Barbecue just isn't on just the mine. other side of... 50% mm-hmm. as far as their chances of making it. Um, no, it's it's just that I, I think you'll probably in the ensuing three weeks that close out the season, you won't see a scenario where everything breaks right or everything breaks wrong. It'll be a mix and a fascinating mix at that because I, I think our bottom line notion going into week 16 is that only six teams have been officially absolutely eliminated. Even the New York Giants, who according to a lot of metrics are the worst team in the NFL, their record is five and eight, and they have not in the NFC been officially eliminated from playoff contention. So there are only six of those. Even more strange to me, at least, is that one team out of 32 has clinched a playoff spot and a division title. That's it. One. That's San Francisco. Baltimore has clinched a playoff spot, but not first place. Not yet. They're close, but not yet. Dallas and Philadelphia are fighting for first place in the NFC East. Both will be in the playoffs, but either one could win the East. It is mathematically possible that the Miami Dolphins probably won't miss the playoffs, but certainly mathematically possible that they could go from being in contention for a number one seed and a division title winner all the way down to number seven as the third of three wildcard teams. It is possible. So that's what we're talking about. Miami is the best example of the range of possibilities because Miami certainly could finish first overall in the AFC. There's a tiny chance they could miss the playoffs. But there's probably more than a tiny chance that they could drop all the way from where they are now, which is second, all the way down to seventh and have to play on the road throughout the playoffs in some cold-weather sites. You know, Baltimore, Kansas City, places like that. That's that's the scenario they, they could be facing. So it's wild. It's a lot of fun. It'll be totally unpredictable. These next three weeks will be as unpredictable or even more unpredictable than the first 15. Of Let me give you at least uh, four Broncos fans, if you're wondering how this week should go and you're looking kind of who to root for basically here's how it goes now obviously the broncos have to win and if you're we're we're just going to take the odds um the the calculations the new york times do is does a really good job of actually you know you can see how the swings change out Uh, obviously the the broncos uh playoff odds have a 43 percent swing in in one direction from the negative to the positive if they win so i mean that's that's got to be the biggest you have to win uh 
the, the games that affect them, there's not actually all that many that affect them because a lot of them, there's a lot of games uh, over in the NFC and a lot of the teams don't matter. But uh, you would love to see. As in the game tonight. Right. Had no consequence. It's small. Uh, in Indianapolis over at Atlanta and Kansas City over Las Vegas, those would both swing at uh, 3%. Now, it's weird to thinking Indy winning. How does that help? Well, because as you talked about, things are a little bit tight and strange, right? So there are certain tiebreakers that, other teams have with other teams that could benefit the Broncos when they're matched up. So those would be the other two. Now, Miami uh, and Dallas, that is a 4% swing. Oddly, again, it is better for Miami to win that than lose because of the challenges with the way that it works for Buffalo, of whom Denver has the tiebreaker over. Uh, Pittsburgh beating Cincinnati would improve their odds 5%. By the way, Jamar Chase not going to be able to play the shoulder injury, keeping him out of the Pittsburgh game. And then the next two, obviously, as you can imagine, both give about a 7% a swing either way. Cleveland over Houston. As you can imagine, that matters because you don't have the tiebreaker against Houston, but you did beat Cleveland. Tampa Bay over Jacksonville. You need just Jacksonville to lose. Each of those would be about 7%. The big game, of course, uh, the Buffalo and Chargers game. The problem is for the Broncos... <laughs> There's you'd, no way you'd like Buffalo's the Chargers to win. Yeah. That would be a that would improve your chances by twelve percent. Yeah. Were the Chargers nice. to win, but here's here's the Tate trick happening. Here. No, um, Keenan yeah. Allen is also not going to play. Uh, to yeah. add uh, injury to injury and insult. How about this over over at the Athletic? Uh, Austin Mocker does a good job, you know, kind of consolidating a lot of the betting together and kind of pl- running it through some computer simulations, looking at the odds. Uh, the Chargers and Bills, the Bills are favored by 12 and a half points over at BetMGM right now. 12 and a half. Is that all? Well, yeah. Austin Mock <laughs> has it, says that if you were to bet that, you'd win 79.8% of the time. Now, you think it's going to be a, a blowout, and it probably will. The yeah. over-under is 44. Not a huge number for a lot of NFL games. But I the might odds, take the under on that one. The odd, yeah. And, and so what Austin Mock, he said that only a 20.2% chance that the over will hit because... Yeah. The Chargers aren't going to be able to score Chargers behind Easton score. Stick and no. whoever's behind Keenan Allen. And the Bills are going to be able to get enough of a lead early on that they're just going to be content to keep it on the ground and, and hand it, it to James Cook and get out of the game without injury. So with the Bills likely winning that, that's one that's problematic for the Broncos. The bright side, of course, is that the Broncos do have the direct head-to-head against the Bills. But that's kind of what you're looking for. So ideally for the Broncos, as strange as it sounds, you want the Colts to win. You want the Chiefs to win. You want Miami to win. It seems counterintuitive, but that's actually the case. Uh, you'd like Pittsburgh to beat Cincinnati. Oh, Cle- sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cincinnati is the one that's that's yeah. a little scary right now. Uh, Cleveland and Tampa Bay beating Jacksonville, and then you'd like the Chargers to beat uh, Buffalo. Although, you might as well just move on from that because uh, that ain't Although, happening. even if Cincinnati wins three straight, they can't finish ahead of Denver if Denver wins three straight. Correct. Because they're all conference games and right now the Broncos are four and five in conference play and one of the few teams over whom they have the advantage in conference play is Cincinnati Mm -hmm. three and six so Cincinnati can't do any better than six and six in conference play the Broncos could get to seven and five if the Broncos win out out. so with respect to Cincinnati the Broncos can stay ahead of them if they take care of business right right Uh, but the idea would be to of course you know bring them a game closer potentially because obviously you'd like them to lose pittsburgh and the broncos both seven and seven were they to both win right there's got to be a tie for a tie cincinnati would be eight and seven you'd start that's right now with the broncos losing last week your best hope is to be in a big old clump of teams that are eight and seven yeah reel in the teams that are 
ahead yeah. of you. But, of course, the challenge for the Broncos is they have no control over that. No, no, they don't. They have absolutely no control. And I suspect that, you know, I'm I'm looking at it. And, you know, what do I know about just picking games on a straight-up basis? I, I'm under 64% for the year on that, which actually this year, as wacky <laughs> as it's been, I think it's not a 638 percentage is – pretty good and 56 points uh, 56% against the spread is actually a, a lot better than I Actually, expected. Like you're pretty good. But you're not going to do this show. You're going to go join that. Brent Musburger yeah, in Vegas. Yeah. Host that I, stuff. I don't think I'll quite measure up to that. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think boy, it's hard to like Pittsburgh. You know, it, in other years, Boy, Pittsburgh are getting two points at home at this time of year. Yeah. Mike Tomlin, you'd, you'd take him every time, even with a Kenny Pickett, a quarterback. Issue there is it ain't going to be it's Kenny even, Pickett. Yeah, it won't be Kenny Pickett. And, of course, it won't be Trubisky. It'll be Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph, the red-nosed ranger. Of which they've been there and done that, by the way, over in Pittsburgh and so, decided that wasn't the way to go. It's so. kind of hard to like Pittsburgh in it's this hard game, to even getting that. two points. Uh, Buffalo, we've we've discussed. Game tonight doesn't mean anything. Uh, Although it's fascinating Indy, seeing those two teams at 7-7. Seven oh, seven. It's, 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 it's a huge game, game for those doesn't impact teams. the Broncos, yeah. but it's a fascinating NFL absolutely, game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sure yeah. it is. Sure it is. And um, Sean McVay will be coaching the Rams for as long as he wants to coach the Rams. Dennis Allen is not in the same situation with New Orleans. So you're right. That is a big game. Indy-Atlanta, to me, is pick'em. Indy yep. at Atlanta. That's a pick'em game. You, you, you really don't know. Now, I... <laughs> You know, the Colts are 6-4 and four with Gardner Minshew, a yep. quarterback, and the Bengals are 3-1 and one with Jake Browning, a quarterback. But you're right. How about this? I was talking about the, the those X-win percentages from Austin Mock at the Athletic. Both the over-under and the spread uh, on, on the likelihood those will hit, 50%, 50%. Yeah. I'm not rounding. Uh, yeah. 50.0, 50.0. In other words, even the computer model, everybody looks at that game and, and just shrugs their shoulders and goes, ah, I don't know. <laughs> it's literally uh, uh, who knows. Well, well, if you're talking about Cleveland, Houston again, Houston's getting two and a half, but it doesn't look like Stroud will. Con- it's not looking clear concussion today, protocol. At least, yeah. does not look today as if he will. Um, so it's Flacco against Case Keenum, two old friends. Next, uh, Denver Broncos best Bronco quarterbacks. Uh, likely, that's going to be the QB matchup, and you know the the distinguishing part of that game to me is Cleveland's defense which, again, on an EPA per dropback basis, is at 0.22 for the year. Now, that number doesn't mean anything. doesn't mean anything to me. But to put it in context, Baltimore is second mm-hmm. at 0.14. Just shows how I, I mean, offensive the difference yeah. between Baltimore at second and New Orleans at seven is 0.08. The difference between Cleveland at first and Baltimore at second is 0.08. Just to give you an idea of how good Cleveland has been defensively, I know in scoring defense they don't rate that highly, but this is it, there's more context in this. I think their offense has hurt their defense in terms of giving up points at times. But on an EPA per dropback basis, and that's the heart of the game, that's expected points added per opponent dropback, they're, they're way, way ahead of the field.
And if you want to compare that to New England and Denver, New England and Denver are minus 0.01 and minus 0.09, respectively, to get <laughs> behind the number one team at 0.22. That's quite a gap. And I think New England has a pretty good defense, but the offense, we talked about the Bronco defense being historically bad after the Dolphins game. Right. All year, the New England offense has been, if not historically bad, then as close as you can get to being historically bad without being historically bad. They are brutal offensively. But I think Cleveland's defense, they, I, I almost concede, I don't think Cleveland's going to catch Baltimore, but I almost concede that fifth playoff spot, the first wild card slot, I almost concede it to Cleveland. So to me, everybody else, including Denver, is going after one of the final two spots at six or seven. And that could even include Miami, which is second yes. right now, but they can feel Buffalo's breath right over their shoulder. And they're also playing Buffalo the last game of the season. Yes, it's in Miami, but Buffalo beat them 48-20 earlier this year. And Buffalo's playing about as well now as it was at that point earlier this year. Yeah, and for the Broncos, this is all this is all stuff that, you know that we're talking about as, as, as viewers and fans and, and people watching the game from afar. The Broncos can't worry about that. They have to worry about winning this game, period. Yep. This game. And, and this game is not expected to be one that um, we're not going to put it in the Louvre when it's done, put it that way. Uh, the lowest scoring game, at least when you look at the, uh, the the point total, the lowest expected in the entire NFL this week. And um, it's it's by a decent amount. And, the and Broncos the are, and Patriots have yeah. played some real ugly games. Yeah. In recent times, the one that sticks out for me is the 18-12 to 12 Bronco win in Foxborough in 2020 mm-hmm. when uh, New England actually, I think in that game, scored a touchdown if memory serves. Denver kicked six field goals, won the game by six, did not score a touchdown, and did not come especially close to scoring a touchdown, but won the game by six on six field goals by McManus. Uh this may be something like that because I really think, you know, that we'll, we'll get into this later today and tomorrow. But the question to me is, do we get the Bronco offense of week seven through 12 d- during their winning streak, right? Right. Uh, included with the bye week and week nine. Or do we get the Bronco offense of the last three games, which has been not Patriot level bad, but. <laughs> Yes, but right. not very good. Not no. very good. And Russell Wilson, that it, week seven through twelve, was at least as good as he needed to be, and probably better even than he needed to be. Weeks thirteen through fifteen, um, sideline one way shouting match with Sean Payton aside, it, he hasn't been good enough in the, in the last three games. Uh, passer rating and other stats aside. He was bad in Houston. Uh, you know, the Chargers are kind of a walkover. Uh, and, you know, his rating wasn't bad the other night. But if, uh, the, by the way, the latest theory is that 
it was an accumulation of offenses mm. over the previous three weeks okay. that set Sean Payton off against Russell Wilson. There was no specific incident. This is about the fourth or fifth version of this that I've heard now, and I'm not putting great credibility in it, but it's as good as any of the previous versions that he just blew his stack. He had already yelled at the officials. He saw Wilson got triggered again, and it was just a buildup again of a uh, an accumulation of offenses in Peyton's mind that Wilson in particular and the offense in general had committed and failing to get more than three points out of that goal-to-go situation, which has been a problem for the Broncos all year. That's That just set him off. And Wilson was standing there, as was Davis Webb, and they got the brunt of it. Wilson certainly more than Webb. Wilson said yesterday that he didn't pay much attention to the uh, the hullabaloo about it, pointing out he was there. <laughs> so no one's going to talk about it. But at this point, he will never react no. to that stuff. At, at this point, won't. after being yelled at now multiple times, we've seen it. Peyton's blown up. You know, it's it's uh, it, it, it's the holidays. The, the Charlie Brown Christmas special gets played all the time, right? I go back and I look at that clip and I watch Peyton going ballistic and Wilson just standing there stiff as a board staring at him. And I have to imagine if, if I'm Russell Wilson, all I'm hearing out of Sean Peyton is that the trombones, right? The teachers and adults had, right? I mean, I've got to figure that's what Wilson's hearing. You know, Peyton talks and it's just and then he just in one and he waits until uh, his mouth stops moving and then he just goes and sits on the bench. I mean, the, the it's bench. not really meaning anything at, at this point. And that's one of the things we've talked. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Danny Bailey with it. That's what Sean Payton probably sounds like to Russell Wilson at this point. I I do want to make this point, and then I promise I will leave this subject alone forever and ever. Well, ever ever. Maybe no. Okay. Maybe maybe the postseason post mortem, uh, you know, we'll perhaps get into that again. Had my outcast in my head there. Good for Nick Cosmeyer today in his uh, piece in the Athletic. Um, late November, one day after the Broncos dominated the Browns to claim a fifth straight victory, the height of their season. Right. That was that was the big moment. Sean Payton was asked about the quote-unquote, off-the-charts numbers that Wilson was producing in the red zone mm-hmm. at the time. Wilson, at that point, 11 games into the season, had thrown 17 touchdown passes. Remember that? I think we yep. talked about it. We did talk about it. And zero interceptions mm-hmm. on plays inside the opponent's 20-yard line. That came after a 2022 season in which Wilson had thrown only 16 total touchdown passes in all parts of the field. The 116.7 passer rating, Wilson posted on red zone plays through week 12 was the second best mark in the league. The Broncos had improved to six and five after a one and five start. And at least on the surface, their quarterback was cooking <laughs> in the most critical part of the field. Okay. But Peyton writes Cosmider was not interested in passing out flowers to the quarterback hmm. on the eve of his 30s. He hasn't been birthday. interested in passing out flowers at any point. Right. But I had forgotten this quote. He cuts off the question, mm-hmm. which is a common Peyton tactic. Also that, yep. Right. Let's back up a second. Those first words. We haven't been good in the red zone. 
We were good in the win against the Browns today, but we haven't been this season. We were near the bottom third of the league as a unit. It's an area that we consistently have to work on, pay attention to, and improve in. And Cosmider concludes, the implication was clear. The raw individual numbers are only part of the equation for a quarterback inside Peyton's system, the performance of the unit, and the quarterback's success or lack thereof in piloting the unit is the basis for his evaluation. And that's why I'm advancing the theory that even during the best of times, Sean Payton was dissatisfied with Wilson in particular and the offense in general, even in the red zone where during the five-game winning streak, the Broncos were terrific. The implication that, that at least what he is insinuating there, to me makes sense what Cosmite is insinuating, that Payton is concerned about the overall performance of the offense. That's fine. What I think is fascinating, and I asked this earlier this week, is there any part of the offense the quarterback is not responsible for? Is the quarterback responsible for making sure that your right guard lines up on sides? Is the quarterback responsible for making sure that there's no penalties? Is the quarterback responsible? And and I would argue I don't see how you could make it that way realistically, but Sean Payton at least seems to believe that, well, the quarterback's in charge of all of that, so that's the guy I'm going to yell at. The question here is with three games to go, you talked about how important it is for this offense to get better. How does it get better? How can it get better? What does it look like? We'll break some of that down and talk about it next from Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. For the Denver Broncos, one of the ideas is uh, Sandy and I do talk during the commercial breaks, uh, so you know that. We don't just like sit here quietly. It's That would be weird. But, Sandy, you just mentioned it a minute ago while we were talking about uh, this plan about the offense, and we were just, you know, throwing ideas back and forth. You had a very good point. You know, the Broncos offensive line has been improved. It's been together the whole season. Uh, Cortland Sutton has had a year in which he's uh, looked far better. Second half, he's been great. But this offense actually has more or less gone as Russell Wilson has gone because the idea behind the the power run scheme, this team's, for various reasons, yards per carry for the Denver Broncos is it's not pedestrian. It's it's abysmal. It really is. It's bad. For, for a team that's expecting to power run, it's not a good running team. It has basically been, strange as it is for a quarterback that seems like only half the time breaks 200 yards per game, it has been an offense that has essentially gone as Russell Wilson goes. Yeah, it is. And I'm guessing that eats at Sean Payton, that he knows, at least offensively, Things are going to go according to the way Wilson plays. Not some genius play calling. It's not anything like that. His scheming, his staying up to two in the morning. That's not making a difference. Looking at as much tape as he can. It it isn't going to make a difference because 
Russell Wilson's fast asleep, I'm sure. Early, early in the year when the defense was playing poorly, obviously that was making the difference in an awful lot of games. And it wasn't as much uh, apparent that that's the case with the offense because the defense obviously was so problematic that you would look at the defense and say, okay, well, here's, here's a problem. But not that the defense is more or less, and I do include the Houston game, I do throw the Detroit game out, but Detroit's actually quite good, and you were on the road three games in 13 days. More or less, the defense has stabilized over the latter half of the season. And as a result, then you can kind of take the offense on its own merits, and it has been rather apparent that, yeah, it's in games where Russell Wilson has played especially well, efficiently and effective, the Broncos have won. In games in which Russell Wilson has been just average or worse, the Broncos have lost. And it's not as if the Broncos, quite frankly, and I guess you know we should probably look at that. Uh, tell me how many times this year, Sandy, and I, I, I don't recall very many. I could probably count it on my fingers. How many times the Broncos have run an offensive play where you actually stopped or took a note and said, wow, that was a really creative alignment or that was a really creative play design? I, I, I chart games. I still do, I do out of force of habit. I just have always done it, and I've, I've done it for 44 years here, uh, going on 45. And I think it's fewer, I, fewer I, than 10 I times I do for me. it, and I don't remember. You know, I don't chart every single play the way I used to. I do put I'm little younger. stars by certain but ones. But I, I star them <laughs> yeah. up, and I use the different colored pens and the mm-hmm. whole shoot match, and I don't remember. Any play of significance this year being attributable to the play design or the play call at a particular You're not time. watching Mike McDaniel type stuff where you look not and say, wow, really. I, I hadn't really seen anything like that. Or, wow, that's not a totally really. different wrinkle. Hey, yeah. that's a formation I haven't seen all year. No, no. Uh, that That's kind of a motion I haven't seen all year. No. No, it's pretty vanilla. It, it is not it's that different, vanilla. Sandy, than and what I'm teams run in the preseason. Bad. I'm not saying that's bad because especially now with the defense having since week three recovered and played by and large pretty well. I mean, obviously Detroit was not a great example of how well they had been playing previously. But in looking at their season, the things that stick out to me that made the offense a little more dangerous, pardon the pun, mm-hmm. um, shouldn't pardon it. You should embrace was, it. it was solid. Yes. Go for it. Was the improvisational stuff that Wilson mm-hmm. did. Yeah. And I think the deal with Peyton when he came in here, he meant what he said when he said, Last year's coach did one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the league. And, uh, you know, if you gave Wilson free reign as they did last year, well, that's the expected outcome. It doesn't mean Wilson's washed up. In Peyton's mind, it means that all he needs is a genius coach to come in and provide some structure and, uh, you know, cover for his limitations, camouflage them. And within a structure, uh, he can succeed, but I would imagine you can in that almost somewhere Urban Peyton, Meyer was wiping his brow too. Yeah. He's like, Phew, I'm off the hook. It, Peyton, through gritted teeth, 
talking about the times that Russell Wilson made plays while improvising. Through but those are the those teeth. are the biggest plays of but the year. Those are the biggest plays of the year. Those are the most memorable plays of the year. Those are the plays I remember charting and Think saying, the, "Wow, how many touchdown he made passes. something out of that that he never would have made right. out of it last year." In fact, last year he would have made it worse. Portland Sutton deserves credit for a lot of better. those, but you think yeah. about some of these passes, and I want you to separate it out. Uh, Cortland Sutton had a, a touchdown catch in the back corner a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, Adam Troutman had a touchdown catch in in the corner. Some of these plays, by the way, not only were they Wilson extending the play and improvising, but lost in the shuffle of some of these touchdowns this year is the fact that Wilson has put those balls in the proverbial, only my guy can catch them. Mm -hmm. Cortland Sutton has at least three touchdowns that I could think of off the top of my head. Jerry Judy dropped one last week that that if if the, I shouldn't say drop it, but didn't drag his feet, that that if, if his receiver doesn't catch it, there is no chance of an interception. It is as safe a touchdown play as you can attempt in that spot. And Wilson put those on the spot. And great, Sutton pulled him in and deserves the credit. It was more likely to be incomplete yeah. than caught. Trauma did a great job sliding in, keeping a warm yep. cheek in the sideline. Uh, great job. But lost in the shuffle on those, when we look at those great catches, you have to also look back and say the quarterback put that in a safe position yeah. where there was not going to be a turnover. At worst case, you were going to get another down or three points. And that should be included in the way you look at a quarterback's efficiency in the red zone because you're not risking the ball. Even if it's a lower percentage chance of your guy catching it because the pass is difficult or in the corner or low or whatever it is, it's a low-risk play, low-risk, high-reward. And as a result, you are keeping the ball and generating some points. Is it all that you want? No, but I think lost in the shuffle of some of those great catches is the understanding that those were also great throws by Wilson because they were never going to be turnovers. But understandably, and I get why, you don't talk about those. But who are the two leading candidates for MVP in the NFL? There's one by far. It's Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy. And who's probably the other one? Took a hit last week. Probably probably Dak Prescott. Yeah, he's probably still number two. Here's the percentage of... Touchdown passes by quarterbacks in the league right now. Number one is right. Brock Purdy at 7.6, yeah. which is right. just hilarious. That's it a is. comical uh, number. Uh, yes, it's almost beyond comprehension. And, and by the way, Purdy now, uh, who has a 119 passer rating. <laughs> which is also beyond comprehension. In the last 20 seasons, 20 seasons, here's the highest passer ratings of the year, 2004. Colts, Peyton Manning, a 123.9. That's hilarious. Aaron Rodgers in 2011, 120.1. Tom Brady in 119.7 yep. in 2007. That's right. Brock Purdy is at 119 even. The fifth was Aaron Rodgers, 118 even in 2020. MVP. Four of those guys won the MVP. The only one that hasn't is the guy that hasn't finished his season yet. Yeah. So Brock Purdy, unless something happens, is going to win it. But he's at 7.6. Dak Prescott is tied with Kirk Cousins, whose season's obviously ended a while ago, as the third best at 5.8. In between the top two candidates for MVP, Brock Purdy and Dak Prescott, sits Russell Wilson at 5.9. Mm-hmm. Second in the league in touchdown percentage. Right. Now, right. as you've pointed out, as we've all seen, he's had bad games. He's had average mm-hmm. games. But he has put the ball when he's in the red zone at spots where his players can catch them, and oftentimes only his players can catch them. You brought up the part in the Cosmider piece at 1.17 touchdowns, no picks. 
Yeah. Within the 20. Yeah, in the red zone. That's easy to overlook, but I think it just adds more fuel to the fire that I, I this offense to me, Sandy, has looked like a preseason-style offense. When you don't show anything to the opponent because it's preseason, we're just going to run the basic stuff. That's kind of what this offense has well, looked like the whole it, year, it, except when Wilson improvises. Yes. And that's about yes. the only time it doesn't yeah, right. look like just the regular vanilla week right. one NFL preseason offense in which you won't want to show your opponent anything. Well, yeah. Um, you know, And that's maybe, the quote-unquote Sean Payton offense, it, at least it, in 2023. Right. And it involves passes, uh, quite a few of them, behind the line of scrimmage and throws deep down the field. And I will grant you that during these last three weeks, the downfield throws, which are supposed to be the strength of Russell Wilson, uh, I think there have been 21 passes that you would characterize uh, as deep throws. That 20, 20 or more yards in the air down, 20, the, yeah, 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 that, down the field. Yeah, that, that kind of thing. Right. And he's only completed seven. And obviously you can... Do the math on that. 21 throws of more than 15 air yards since week 13. Okay. That's ninth in terms of attempts in the NFL. So they're throwing the ball down yep. field a lot. 15 or more air yards or more than 15 air yards. In the first 12 weeks, they only threw 57 of those types of passes. But since week 13, they've thrown 21. <laughs> okay. Higher rate. And by the way, 57 deep attempts the first 12 weeks was 26th in the league, not ninth, 26th. So they go from one extreme to another, mm-hmm. bottom 10 to top 10. Here's the rub seven for 21, two touchdowns, both to Sutton, one interception. Guess who was the intended target? Sutton. <laughs> uh, that's 25th in percentage at 33.3%, and uh, 42% is the league average. So, again, did Peyton reach a boiling point the other night? Has that been kind of simmering there? The idea that all they're throwing downfield more than they more yeah, than they may have wanted. That really isn't, you know. His kind of, you know, throw the ball behind the line of I scrimmage and throw the ball deep down. And the it's problem not really is him. Wilson going off script but is where they scored most of their points. I, if he wasn't such an egomaniac, he'd come out and say, hell, I've changed my uh, whole offensive philosophy to accommodate Russell Wilson, and no one in his right mind can say that Russell Wilson is not having a much better year, not a great year, but a much better year than last year. It is so. It is fair I, to say I, that I he, has, he has not been a bad quarterback. He's this not year. been a bad quarterback. He has not prevented you from winning games. I mean, he, he didn't give up the seventy points. It wasn't like they turned the ball over five or six times in Miami that day. Miami scored ten touchdowns, and most of them were scored on fairly lengthy marches, or not <laughs> lengthy in terms of time. I mean, a lot of them were three and four plays for. 77. He's also your yards. leading but your leader that's in That's not on him. He's your leader in rushing touchdowns. Right. And he's only 2 yards away from being second on the team in rushing yards. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing for a 35 a guy who's now 35, started the season at 34, he's now 35. I 
I think that's impressive. Uh, laudatory, shout it from the mountaintop stuff. No, but uh, you know, the, the egomaniac reference is that I think this guy, Peyton in his own mind thought as some perhaps overly enthusiastic prognosticators did that Wilson would go from being one of the 10 worst quarterbacks to one of the 10 best under Sean Payton. And Payton's ego is big enough to accommodate that kind of projection. He didn't mind hearing that. I promise you he didn't mind hearing that. Well, as we've, I think, established pretty much throughout the season, he hasn't been top 10, but he hasn't been bottom 10. No. Far from top 10, but also far from bottom 10. Basically a middle-of-the-pack guy. Some of the stats are excellent. Passer rating, touchdown percentage, terrific. Others, uh, quarterback rating of 50.0, that's by definition average on a system that marks between 1 and 150 is average. 50.0 is right in the middle. So there's some things to like. There's some things, uh, I think the fumbling probably bugs Mm -hmm. him. But how many times did by extended plays, he saved plays and make game-winning plays. I think of the Buffalo game in particular. And without that win in Buffalo, we're we're not not having any conversation. We're not even talking about any of this. You're exactly right. Right down Jim Mora's alley. Exactly right. They're not going to playoffs with three weeks to go just because they haven't been officially eliminated? Just north of Buffalo, give or take. Is Toronto up in uh, Canada? Give or take, it's north. It's rough. It's roughly north. Roughly north, not directly. Oh well, yeah, yeah, because it's in Canada. Great white north, north. Look, I'm I'm working on a segue here. Okay, north. it's like Thursday. It's getting near the end of the well, week. We'll, we'll Throw it. me a bone, man. Yeah. The Nuggets won in Toronto. They won easily. We'll break it down next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. As uh, Sandy predicted, of course, and a lot of people predicted, but Sandy, you, you suggested that the Nuggets would not have much trouble with the Toronto Raptors, and uh, basically they did not. 113-104 makes the uh, game appear a little closer than in actuality yeah, it was. It was. The close. Nuggets had it under control. For the vast majority of the game, Nikola Jokic, 31 points, his first time ever scoring 30 against the Raptors. Which means he's now hit 30 or more against every team. 15 boards, six assists, uh, got chipped in. All five of the starters reached double figures, as well as Peyton Watson, who was really good off the bench. Five for six shooting, 11. He's on a nice roll. He really is. 11 points, uh, four rebounds. Uh, He got a commercial now, Sandy. So I guess he's, uh, you got to show up, I guess. Right. But the... The concern no, he for got the, the Nuggets, most minutes of all the bench guys again. You know, it's not the starting five. The starting five, uh, it's been, you know, over the year, really, going into last year, pretty obvious that this starting five is the most efficient and effective starting five in the NBA, and it's not even all that close. Uh, they play in an excellent concert. They do just about everything you want them to do. The question was the bench, and Watson's maturation. We know about Christian Brown, and uh, the scoring can run hot and cold with Brown, but the effort is always good. The defense is good. 
And you have Strother, I think, uh, looking at times like a rookie, but a, but a, a high-developing rookie. I thought he was fine last night. And Watson's ascendance from being sort of a curiosity was picked in the first round. I mean, you're talking about now all of a sudden, I don't have much concern when some combination of the youngsters in Brown and Strouther and Watson come out on the court with Reggie Jackson, the, the veteran, getting it done. And now you're nine deep. And I don't really appear, most of the time, those well, guys don't. actually playing 10 guys They are now. playing 10. Zeke Nagy had uh, 10 minutes last yeah. night. And they don't appear to be overmatched. Now, are, no. they, are they leaking points a little bit? Mm, yes, little bit. but not as bad as we saw this time of the year with last year's bench. Oh no, and and it's that's actually ahead of pace compared this to last bit, year's bench. You know, people remember the bench from the playoffs, and okay, that was very late developing in the enough, season. But people forget, especially during the first half of the season, how that bench the Nuggets really was double digit leads other in, than in, Bruce instance. Brown, and Bruce Brown the second half of the year was not quite as good. But the other guys got better. He started to play Christian Brown, he being Michael Malone, a little bit more. Uh, Brown, I thought, settled in nicely. And with the exception of a couple of games where he was benched in the finals against the Lakers, in the conference finals, uh, he played, ended up playing Brown more than he did Jeff Green by the end of the playoffs in the in the NBA finals. Um he was playing Bruce Brown and Christian Brown, and and Green's minutes were were cut down a little bit, and that's what people remember. But at this time last year, the bench was—I mean, it's my goodness, how much of our lead are we going to lose, or how much of the deficit yeah. is going to grow with Jokic on the bench? Yeah, and it felt and like a foregone conclusion. You don't really think about that. I mean. They won by nine. Jokic was plus 15. So that means in the 10 non-Jokic minutes, they were minus six. But a lot of that came at the end, which is basically garbage time the last five minutes. They were way ahead, double digits ahead. And Toronto closed and made it look like a closer game than we all know it was. And what I like about it, too, and Toronto's not a very good team, but – Scotty Barnes went off, had a terrific game last night. 30 points, 10 rebounds, 5 assists, a block. Uh, was only minus 4 in a game they lost by 9 points in 33 minutes. He was great. He was great. Nobody else heard him. That was the thing. Nobody else None heard him. None of the starters So you can even, live with yeah. one guy like Doncic the other night, yep. went off and had 38, and Barnes had 30 last night. It, they're both easy wins for Denver. Because nobody else heard him. Siakam, Ananobi, Pirtle, Schroeder, they none had of them. below average games. The below below 50% shooting. starters beyond Barnes. Right. Bar- Barnes was effective. The, 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 the Nuggets defense held the other guys to poor shooting nights. Uh, Siakam, I guess, came the closest, but he still took 16 shots oh, to get 18 he took points. Oh, shots. So that's not a good ratio. Took a lot of, and he was minus 17 in right. 36 minutes. Right. I mean, so he's a good set. player, but he was not performing up to standard. Uh, last night and 
Uh, but you're exactly I, right. I, Nobody the, here. The Nuggets killed him. Even, even uh, you know, you look at the course. box score and you look at, at pressures at you and think, okay, you know, he had 13 off the bench, 6 or 10 shooting. But a lot of that was garbage that time. That was garbage time, though. Yeah, and, nobody you know, else hurt the here's, Nuggets. Here's what. If the no Nuggets one. get 15 or more offensive rebounds, they're going to win. And in combination with that, 29 assists against only eight turnovers when they're as efficient and as physical and frankly, dominant on the boards, 15 to 10 on the offensive glass, which is the number you look at, then you can make three free throws and still score 113 points. And they shot three for seven at the line last night. They didn't shoot a free throw in the first half, and they were up, what, 61-44 mm-hmm. at half. Yeah. Didn't shoot a single free throw in the first half. Toronto didn't throws. shoot a lot. Seven free throws the whole night. seven free throws to Toronto's 13, uh, made only three of them, didn't shoot the three ball great. I mean, by their standards, 12 for 33, that's around average. But the Nuggets always win when they're 40% or better. But the key numbers for Denver, a decent shooting percentage from the field, uh, three and a half to one plus assist to turnover ratio, and 15 or more offensive rebounds. That means they're engaged in every way that they should be. And as I said yesterday, I don't care about scoring averages. Porter had 12 last night. I have no idea what Porter's scoring average is, and that used to define Porter. Right. Even in Porter's own mind, that defined 16.3, by the way, is the so, actual okay. number. Yeah. But he had 12 last night. Uh, but but and, the and seven, Gordon was the, the same thing. Gordon's to box score. Right. But the box score numbers... 12 and 5 for Gordon. Yeah. 12 and 6 for like Porter. Uh, you know, it doesn't look like much. A strong game for Murray, not surprising, going back to Ontario, uh, close to home. Uh, but, you know, nobody except Jokic on an almost nightly basis really jumps out at you as being spectacular. It was really just Jokic and, and total and force offensive. Watson quite frankly, yeah. was the only other guy that really stood out. Easy night for the refs, by the way. Uh, not a single player on either team was called for more than two fouls. No. It, That's kind of weird. It was not... Um, it, it kind it of was, a hands-off game. Yes. It was kind of uh, hands-off and, uh, you know, they say no holds barred sometimes. Yeah. This was the opposite of no holds barred. <laughs> yeah, both, both teams seemed both like they were somewhat content did, with... Did, were, were content with, yeah, well, especially the yeah. Nuggets, once they got way ahead, they were content trading baskets. It was fine. So the Nuggets end up getting that win, as you expect. They continue the road trip. They will be back at it tomorrow in Brooklyn. The three-game road trip will conclude on Saturday. They'll have the other night of the back-to-back and, in Charlotte against three of the worst teams in the league. But yep. again, this kind of win, Sandy, in which... You didn't have to play huge minutes. Jokic played 38. That was the most. But uh, it wasn't a physical game. It wasn't a taxing game in that regard. Sets you up pretty well going into these back-to-backs on Friday and Saturday night, too. We're talking about 29 games played. Um, That means 53 or left, if my math is correct. It is. I think an appropriate time to look at where the Nuggets stand. Overall, uh, basketball references standing. Most reliable stat is the simple rating system, which takes into account a number of factors, including the difficulty of the schedule. The Nuggets are fifth. Their offensive rating, they're eighth. Defensive rating, they're 11th. That's across the board grid. 
Yeah, they're in very, very good shape. We'll see how they continue on this road trip. We'll talk more about uh, the game in Brooklyn tomorrow, but we turn our attention to the Denver Broncos. Uh, regularly down at Dove Valley is Chris Thomason, the Broncos reporter for the Denver Gazette. He will join us next on My Life Sports. Oh, oh. 